Welcome to Episode 6, Navigating Nutrition Recommendations. This is the Your Own Food Coast podcast. My name is Pamela Kelly. I'm a registered dietitian and nutritionist for over 25 years. We have created this podcast to have a conversation to explore the world of food, nutrition, health, and body image together. You've come to the right place. Since we talked in past episodes about using the body as a resource to help find and build a healthy relationship with ourselves, it makes sense to talk about exactly what's going into our bodies too. To me, it seems reasonable to look to outside sources to guide you in the best nutrition practices for all of us and for our families. After all, our nutrition needs are very different through the continuum of the lifespan. As a registered and licensed nutritionist, I'm completely blown away today by all the different types of diets going on out there. And actually, who is making those recommendations? Now, I need to pause and remind you that, especially if this is the first podcast you've listened to with me, I do consider myself to be a non-diet dietitian. And what that means is that for the past decade or so, many of the clients who come to my office have been on more diets than any of us could count or name. And this is with my colleagues across the country, too. And many of us have realized that this has to change. They come in with a varying degree of eating disorder behavior to my office. And why is that? It's because most diets don't work. And if they did actually work, there would be not so many conflicting opinions out there. There wouldn't be a hundred different books with a hundred different types of advice. So forgive my professional bias against the notion of dieting in the first place. But with that said, I owe it to you and to my profession to explore deeper into the different diets that are out there and some of the origins of these nutrition recommendations. So I'm going to proceed with an open mind and share what I understand from my professional standard, and you can draw your own conclusions about what eating style might be best for you. And we can agree here that when I'm talking about dieting, I'm referring to the style of which a diet might be and the way that a person might eat. The word diet in our conversation doesn't necessarily mean restriction of calories, although there are many recommendations out there that suggest caloric restriction. So my producer suggested a segment on explaining diets that it would be of interest since no, so many people are on diets today. But I'll tell you, I found myself down a never-ending rabbit hole. So it's going to take us a couple episodes to dig into this. So remembering that it's usually the right questions that might lead to the answers we're looking for, I find that I have more than just a few. My first question is, why do we diet in the first place? And where did it begin? Like at least in the last 20 years or so, and obviously with the explosion of social media and the different avenues where you can get nutrition information, what motivates us to believe in some remedy that's going to be the best solution for our health? Why are there so much interest in general in dieting today? Who's considered the expert? Actually, 
There's so many questions here. I'm going to encourage you to explore this on your own, too. So, after looking at many different streaming services, I found a plethora of documentaries about food, nutrition, and dieting, and I was stunned. Go to Netflix, go to Hulu, go to Amazon Prime, look at any of them, and you're going to find documentaries that are everything from food conspiracy theories and those that encourage a variety of different types of dieting from veganism to ketogenic diets. And I'll explore some of these with us, but the point would be there are so many different ones out there. And on top of that, there's such an interest in cooking shows today and cooking shows from all over the world. And many of those shows are in direct conflict with the health health recommendations that were on the documentary you just saw on Netflix. And to top it off, as I stood in line at the grocery store the other day, I glanced down at that whole section of magazines. You know, the ones are right there at the checkout. And it touted the same conflicting recommendations. On the cover of those magazines, though, I noticed that a lot of the promises were about being thin and being young. And it's evident that that was the main selling point of those magazines to tell you that if you do this diet, you're going to look a certain way. So as we talk, as we look at this today, look at some of the TED Talks, YouTube videos. And honestly, I think you could watch them for days and never see them all. Wait, don't do that. I did that. You don't need to do that. You're just going to end up more confused. Okay, let's keep going. So Dieting has been part of culture for eons, and from a generational perspective, if you have grandparents or great-grandparents from the time of any kind of food scarcity or poverty, or if they were part of the Depression, there is a real good chance that your parents raised you with a sense of abundance to offset the struggles of food scarcity from past generations, and it's really common Many of the clients that come in to me tell me of childhood stories where there was food celebrations all the time, where cousins and family members often had binge parties, let them eat cake, as they say, full permission to overindulge at the drop of a hat, or binging uh, that went on for the weekends and maybe ate healthy during the week. For some of my clients, many of their family members are overweight, and the question of environment versus genetics with obesity comes to play, and honestly, that's a rabbit hole I'm going to leave for another podcast. So if families are overweight, that might motivate a younger generation to make the decision that that behavior will not continue in their family or pass it down to their children. So perhaps food rules have been put into place. Perhaps you've made it clear there will be no second helpings or there will not be extra celebrations with food, uh, with bags of chips or liters of Coke. You know, that alone might promote you to want to find a style of eating that would feel more in line with your own personal opinion about food and eating. Dieting in this case could be motivated by a desire to just be healthier or thinner than your past generations. And it is common today for the beginnings of what is known as the food tribes. And that is eating in a manner that's shared with your peer group. So it could be that no one is allowing their children to take sugar 
to school or have cakes or cookies at birthday parties at school or eat fast food. The funny thing is a lot of those food rules are abandoned. The second there's a vacation or a family reunion or an excuse really to go back to eating the way that they knew to eat their whole lives. That leads to some of the dieting effect of yo-yo dieting, where you eat well, feel good about it, follow recommendations, something trips you off, you fall off, gain your weight back, and you're back to square one. A client told me the other day that she came from a lifestyle where both parents worked all the time and they literally were raised on fast food and frozen dinners. They they don't understand nutrition. They've really never learned about food growing up. So they found themselves relying on what their friends ate or they became a particular type of dieter based on a TV advertisement or social media for such as Weight Watchers or Nutrisystems or other well-known dieting programs. The motivation could be weight loss or it could just be at a loss of what to eat. So people come into my office and they look at me and say, please just tell me what to eat. Not trusting or understanding what their bodies really need. And once again, that that drive, that tendency to want to join what everybody else is doing, whether it be Whole30 or another program, just to give them guidance. The problem is, on researching this, the truth is it just doesn't last for long. Let me give you an example of this. Early in my career in the 90s, the Food Guide Pyramid was in place as the gold standard of recommendations for a healthy eating guide. That was later changed into the Healthy Plate or My Plate guideline. These recommendations came from the United States Department of Agriculture, the USDA. And the base of the diet is grain. There wasn't a real recommendation for the fiber amount or using 100% whole grains or eating less processed grain, the base of the diet was complex carbohydrate and starch. The next category was fruit and vegetables. Above that, lean, lean meat, possibly fish, but not fatty fish and not eggs with the top of the pyramid as the most limited quantity, which would be fat, nuts, oils, etc., This was the day of the high-carbohydrate, low-fat craze, and obesity rates were on the climb. There was a race to find a solution of the problem. Cancer rates and heart disease were also on the rise, and many, many science professionals, nutritionists, were trying to find solutions to this. Never lose sight of the fact that that all not all recommendations are based on altruistic drive for health and good practice. Sometimes it's commercialism and profit. You see, now I'm going down another rabbit hole and I don't want to do that. So I want to tell you that we'll talk about some of the food politics at another issue because it's quite interesting. But I want to give you a good background of what was happening so you could see why today there are so many conflicting ideas, and we'll explore that together. If you entered the grocery store at that time, the shelves would be full of fat-free food, fat-free everything, low-fat cookies, fat-free potato chips, fat-free salad dressings, fat-free dairy, and the fat-free phase was in full swing. 
And unfortunately, what it produced was an entire subset of folks who became obsessed with fat-free eating. And unfortunately, a fear of fat surfaced, and in many people, it's still there. The notion of fat makes you fat surfaced, and people believed it was true. What was taught and believed by many people, and honestly, it impacted me too, I could go on and on because the fact is that the fear of a food causing you to become obese can lead towards eating disorder behavior and can motivate you to all kinds of dieting that might not work. And it certainly motivated an entire culture to eat fake fat-free food. Some of the eating disorders that came out of that era, and again, I'm not blaming it all on food, but it played its role, is anorexia, bulimia, and binge eating disorder. I do want to discuss these in other episodes, but let's just agree that nutrition knowledge, like any other science, is always evolving. And I am pretty sure most would agree that just because a food is fat-free, it did not mean it was healthy. Um, And eliminating an entire food group did not mean it was healthy. And it was sure not a permanent solution. So, so far we've been looking at what might motivate diet behavior, such as the fear of a food or the fear of lack of food or the fear of obesity or cherry picking knowledge about nutrition and obesity in general. So let's keep going on this. After the season of like baked potatoes the size of football and wheat and grain growing at such rapid rate to feed that carbohydrate craze, Footlong subs were there, giant bagels. It was clear that it was not impacting the health of our country in a positive way. That's when the start came of people being concerned about how quickly and how mass-produced food became. And honestly, food changed from the notion of being nutrition to a commodity. And more about that in a minute. Low-fat diets and low-animal product diets could still be positive for direction and help with heart disease, and they are still being recommended by many physicians. Dr. John McDougall is one of them. So if you have cardiac disease and you've been promoted to follow a low-fat diet, don't feel like you can't do that. What I'm talking about here is what happened when fat-free foods showed up that were uh, replaced with other things, and usually that was sugar and sodium. And anyone with heart disease would agree that eating a diet high in sodium is not helpful. So food adds satiety when it has fat with it. It helps keep you fuller longer. And there's certain satisfaction that comes from the flavor of fat. And in the end, the greatest issue with fat-free eating, from my perspective at at least, is that people ate more food which led to more issues with portion control and more issues with extra salt and extra sugar. That's a real trigger to keep eating. Now, let's enter the season of the high-protein diet, which fell on the the heels of the high-carb diet. So now we're in the 2000s, early 2000s, and the Atkins diet was called the New Revolutionary Diet, but actually it was introduced in the 70s. It just showed back up in the 90s and the 2000s. There were many branches of that, and that includes 
like the South Beat Diet, the Zone Diet, the Beverly Hills Diet, and many, many others. And the promise of these dieting techniques were that you would have a decrease in abdominal body fat and less insulin resistance because you decrease the carbohydrate in your diet. And carbohydrate does increase insulin production. As a professor once told me in college, I never forgot it. Insulin, while necessary for life, is a fat sponge if it is overproduced because of too much carbohydrate. Maybe you remember that in the past you had to go to a bookstore to look at a section on health and eating. I used to do this all the time. Even before I became a nutritionist and a dietitian, I've been fascinated by nutrition recommendations. I'm blessed with good health and a healthy body, but my motivation today is to stay on top of cutting-edge nutrition information and recommendations for your behalf. It remains so very much important to me to understand and to tease apart some of the latest information from a science perspective. John Robison, who is an amazing therapist and scientist, uh, wrote in his uh, LinkedIn recently a very fascinating blog, but he's asking some really important questions that I really appreciate. And one of them is, who should we turn to when we are struggling with difficult food-related issues? There is so much nutrition information out there. There are trained nutrition professionals like me, for instance, but there's also journalists who write books and blogs about food and diet doctors and celebrity celebrity gurus that are experts. There's also uh, people who tell the tell you that they're a nutrition expert that may not be have any kind of formal training behind them or education behind them. So I encourage you to look at the resources behind what you're reading because what's popular today will not be popular tomorrow. And I could go on and on about that, but my concern is how much time they actually spend with the people who are trying to make these nutrition changes. It's one thing to say authoritatively that people should eat a plant-based diet because they're healthier or that a Mediterranean or a DASH diet is preferable than the American standard diet, which is true. But it's another thing to spend time with people to help them understand and assist with the emotional, psychological, and cultural and economic issues that are involved in doing so. So the point is, research, think, check, ask yourself these questions, and visit me next time when we're going to continue the talk about different diets and what motivates us for diets. Thank you so much for joining us today with the Your Own Food Coach podcast. We're all in search of answers, but maybe it's the questions we need to consider, or maybe we're just not asking the right questions. If this podcast brought up such questions for you, I encourage you to talk to family, friends, a therapist, or talk to me. I offer virtual nutrition coaching sessions and have worked with people all over the world. Share this podcast and please subscribe. We welcome your comments. And a special thanks to my producer, Brian Strickland, and my brand manager, Malia Smith. Without them, this podcast would not be possible. 
The information presented on this podcast is for the enjoyment of all listeners. It is not intended as either medical or medical nutrition advice or counseling, nor is it specific to any particular individual. It is not intended to replace counseling, medical nutrition therapy, or treatment. Contact a healthcare professional if you are experiencing problems that seem health-related. Please contact 911 if you are having an emergency.